Good morning, HCC. We are going to be going through more of the parables in the next few weeks. And so we're going to read from some of these stories that Jesus tells people that are incredibly powerful, that convey a spiritual truth from the Lord to us. Today, we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there to Luke chapter 12. And uh, we're going to talk about worry. Jesus gives a powerful message of how we can worry less. And a lot of people, we think that I would worry less if I had more stuff. That's how we feel. People, we look to stuff for our fulfillment and security. Everybody loves stuff. In fact, where we just moved from, I would say the number one growing industry in the area is storage. It's storage. All this high-priced premium land would be purchased. And you think, what's going up there? Are they going to begin manufacturing something? Are they going to begin producing something? Something to bless our world? Something to make our community better? And time after time, as it would go up, you realize it's another storage building. It's the number one industry where I just came from, at least from my perspective. People we love are stuff. In the neighborhood I moved into, uh, I moved into the oldest house on the neighborhood, and everyone else had houses that were built about 12 years later. And as I began helping one of my neighbors move stuff in and out of his storage shed in the back, I looked around and I realized everyone had the same storage shed that was built 12 years later. And I said, this is a great storage shed. Like, how did, did you guys, how did you guys all come to have the same storage shed? And he said, well, I was the first one to build after this house, the house that you bought. And I, the developer had this option for the storage shed. And I, I was like, that's awesome. We've got so much stuff. I need this. And every single person who moved in after me saw that I had this. And they asked for that option too. Every single person not only needed a big giant house, they needed a giant storage shed in the back. Because we love our stuff. And if you love stuff, it's an incredible day and age to live. We've got more of it than ever before. You can get it faster for cheaper than ever in human history. You go online now, you sit on your couch, you pick it up, and it arrives at your door in two days. It's amazing. We live in an incredible day and age. And for the big box retailers that are trying to compete with this stuff, they give you incredible deals to try to get you in their store. I don't know if you've ever shopped at Kohl's before, but they send out a coupon every week and you take off the coupon, you can save up to 30%. And then if you use your Kohl's card on a Tuesday, on a full moon, you get like another 30%. And then every $50 you spend, you get $10 back in their magical Kohl's cash, only good at their location. But still, if you shop there, it's another 20% off. I had to get my, it's almost impossible to find out what stuff costs there. You got to get your calculator out and spend all of your time shopping, trying to figure it out. But we came out of that store the other day with a giant pile of clothes and I added it up and we gained $5.80. I don't know how it works. I don't ask questions. I just shop at Kohl's. But we need more storage. We need more space because we just keep getting more stuff and we love it. As sinful people, that's where we look to for our security. That's what we're trusting in is our stuff to make us feel safe and secure. How much do we have? How can we get more? And how can we keep it safe? And for many people, our main concern in life is our stuff. 
And so for people like us, the Lord tells the following story, starting in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. To people who look to their stuff for fulfillment and security, Jesus says this. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. If you go back up to the beginning of chapter 12, in the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, this is the crowd that has come out to Jesus. And Jesus has shown everyone that he's got the power of God as you read through the book of Luke. He's healed people. He's raised them from the dead. He's provided powerful teaching. He's freed people from demons spiritually. People have heard this, and so they come to Jesus. There's so many, they're trampling. Think of all the different people that came to hear Jesus speak that day. So many thousands that they're trampling on each other. The man has come to Jesus. He says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Here we all think, what would God say if, I, if he was here? We pray and we think, oh, I wish that God would hear me. How wonderful to be able to talk with the Lord and have him hear me and respond to me. And here this guy has got an incredible opportunity. He is face to face with God in the flesh, the God who created him, the God who's powerful over all things. He can raise people from the dead. He can do anything. And what does this guy ask the Lord? He's got one question. There's so many people. Who knows how hard he fought to get to the Lord with thousands of people trampling each other. He's fought his way to the front for his opportunity to say something to God. And he looks God in the face and he says, can you help me get some more stuff? My brother won't give me my share of the stuff. Make him give me the stuff. It's good stuff. My parents had it. We've used it before. It works good. Tell my brother to defy the inheritance with me. What an absurd question to ask God. I don't know what you would ask God if you were face to face with him, but I'd hope you'd come up with something a little more significant. And this guy loves stuff. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I'm sitting in church praying, I'm praying about stuff. And a lot of people use God as a means to an end. For whatever it is, what we really want is health. What we really want is stuff. What we really want is success, whatever it is. You can tell if you're using God as a means to an end by your prayer life. It's good to pray for what you need. It's good to pray for things that are godly. But if your prayer life is characterized by trying to get God to give you more things than what you're what you are is you're, you're not a Christian, you're an idolater. And if we're using God as a means to an end, that is not Christianity, that is straight up idolatry. If you turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. If I can turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. 
which is idolatry. The Lord says in Luke chapter 16, verse 13, that you cannot serve two masters. Covetousness is idolatry because no one can serve two masters for either will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And here, many people, we come to church thinking we're following the Lord and what we're really doing is we're following our idol of wealth, our idol of security in stuff, That's what idols gave to people throughout history. You might not have a wooden statue of wealth in your home, but it's in your heart if you're coming and doing that. And it's the same thing. Throughout history, people, life is very hard and very difficult, and people felt very insecure, and so they carved idols to make themselves more secure in their false gods, and then looked to that and said, here's something I can see, here's something I can feel, this thing, give me blessings. This is my God of rain. I'm going to touch it. I'm going to hold it. I'm going to pray to it. I'm going to look for this to give me rain because this makes me feel secure. Faith in the Lord is hard. He's intangible. We can't hold him in our hands before us. And so as crazy as it sounds, all these things make us feel more comfortable. The Lord is hard to have your faith in. It's not easy. It's easier to look to your stuff and trust in that. Here, this guy looks to his stuff. This guy comes to God praying for more abundance, and I know so much of my prayer life is too. When you live for your stuff, what happens is that the stuff you own ends up owning you. I don't know if you've got a lot of stuff. I've got a lot of stuff, and I become its servant. I spend all of my time, like my neighbor, bringing it in from the shed to the house, bringing it from the house back to the shed, picking more of it up at the store, going and trying to get rid of some of it on Facebook Marketplace because I can't walk in the hallway. I've got so much junk, I end up as a slave to my stuff rather than a servant of God. And what is owning you? Is it God or is it money? And the Lord has got a message for us. Jesus recognizes covetousness in this guy And if I'm going to be honest, the Lord would recognize covetousness in me as well. And how about you? Is God your God? Are you looking to stuff to do what only God can do? Verse 14, he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, Jesus is his judge and arbitrator. This guy doesn't know who God is. He doesn't know who Jesus is. That's why he's come to him and said, teacher. And so Jesus does these things. If you read through the scriptures, he gives this type of response. Often, why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone. Like, make the connection. Like, you've come to me for this. What you've asked is something only God can do, trying to get people to make that connection on their own, that they're standing before God. And this is the same thing. Man who made me judge or arbitrator. Well, he is his creator. He is his God. He's, Jesus isn't saying he's not his judge or arbitrator. He's just hoping this guy recognizes it. And then he says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so if you thought I was being hard on this guy, that's why I'm being hard on him. Jesus recognizes. He comes and says, give me, he's, he asks for stuff. Give me my share of the inheritance. And Jesus looks deeper into his heart and says, 
There's something wrong in your heart, it's covetous. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting your fair share of the inheritance. What's wrong that Jesus says is this guy has got an idol of his stuff. And Jesus, being God, can look to the heart and see that just like he can look right to the core of your heart right now. Jesus says life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, but that's what I spend all of my time doing. If that's not life, then what is? I spend all of my life trying to gather up the possessions that I want. I move them from here to there. I buy them from there and bring them home. This is what I do. If this isn't what I should be doing, then where do I find life? Jesus recognizes this insatiable desire for more that we have, that this man has. I need more. It's not enough. I feel insecure. I need more. I need to be fulfilled. I need more. There's no space. I need more storage. Somebody can just come and open that shed. I need more locks. And the stuff that you own end up owning you. And there's something greater that Jesus is going to tell us we can live for. In verse 16, he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And this is going to be a story about someone that we shouldn't be like. There's a problem in this story that we want to avoid. And it starts off with a rich man. But that's actually not the problem in the story. Too often we vilify the rich and romanticize the poor. But we can be covetousness no matter how much we have. Covetous, no matter how much we have. Being rich is not a problem in and of itself. However, the Bible does warn against it because of the danger as sinners of having a lot of wealth. As sinners, our heart gravitates towards our stuff rather than God. And so Jesus says it's easier for a rich man or a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. So being rich in and of itself is not a sin at all, actually. However, because we're sinners, because we're covetous sinners, Being rich is a very dangerous spiritual place to be. And this man is rich, but that's actually not a problem. We need, for society to flourish, we need prosperity and prospering people. And this man has got an incredible opportunity. What's he going to do with that opportunity? The land of the rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and goods. There's a lot of great things that rich people can do with their wealth that you can do with what you have to bless the world, to change the world. It is an incredible blessing when someone succeeds. It's an incredible blessing when someone starts a business or works for a business or helps a business succeed and people get rich. And then they can reinvest that Put some money into R&D, see if they can get the product out there quicker, faster, cheaper to bless society even more. It's a fantastic thing. God is a God of abundance. God wants to provide for us and his people. And God uses people who are successful to do that. It's not the people who are struggling that have that capacity. Too often we vilify the rich and romanticize the poor, but I grew up in a mobile home park and those people were as covetous as anybody I've ever met. 
And here, this man has got a great opportunity. And what does he do? He hoards. Straight up hoarder. I need more barns. I need more space for all of this stuff. And he says in verse 18, I will do that. I'll tear down my barns, build larger ones, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. This isn't a problem either. He celebrates. I'm going to celebrate. God wants us to celebrate. He wants us to be joyful. He wants us to be thankful. This guy should be celebrating. But what's sinful about this man is it's his attitude. He worships his stuff over the one who gave it. He loves his stuff more than he does God. He looks to his stuff for fulfillment and security and purpose over the Lord. And so what does he do? He hoards. That's this guy. Verse 20, he says, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Acts 20, 25 says, How much better it is to give than to receive, but none of us trust the Lord. And so we live in the exact opposite way. And instead of being blessed, we worry all the time because we're doing the wrong thing. We're looking to our stuff will fulfill us rather than the Lord. If we wanted to worry less, what a lot of people should do is start giving a lot of their stuff away. I'm not a natural giver. My wife is. And I always try to stop her from giving gifts because I'm like, that's a lot of money. We barely know this cousin. I know it's their wedding, but come on. They're never going to see us again. Get them the spatula. What I've found is that it's more blessed to give to receive. You can't outgive the Lord, and you can't outgive other people. It's more blessed to give than to receive. You either serve your wealth, or your wealth serves you. What is your wealth doing in your life? Here he says, I've got, isn't that what everybody wants? I want some security. I want to have a, a, something to fall back on, you know, in case something goes wrong. And here this guy's got it. He says, oh, this is what I've been waiting for. I don't have to worry anymore. I don't have to worry anymore. Soul, you've got enough for many years. Turns out he couldn't buy himself another day. I want something to fall back on. And if that's your attitude, you are serving your wealth. It is your God. We have a God to fall back on in case you've forgotten. That's what God wants to do in our lives. That's what he wants to be for us. He wants to be our God. He doesn't want to be used for things that he can give us. It's a huge change in your spiritual life. I've been a Christian for a long time. I still struggle with it. Moses, as in like Exodus chapter 38 or something, when he's going into the promised land, he has that shift. 
God says, I'm going to give you all these things. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to drive out all these people who are terrible there. I'm going to give, and I'm going to give it to you. And Moses says, if, you don't, if we don't have your presence, forget the whole thing. Your presence is the prize. Moses goes to having God as his God. No longer is he serving God for what he can give him. He's serving God for who he is. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all things then will be added unto you. Like if you have God as your God, you've got it all, no matter how much stuff you have. And our God is a God of abundance and prosperity. He loves to bless his children. It's God's desire to bless you. But if God isn't blessing you with what you want, then he's blessing you with what you need. God is a God of abundance, but he asked all the disciples to die penniless and be tortured for their faith. And that's the kind of people that God is looking for. People who will serve him above all. People who don't care how much they have if they have him. And if we have God, we won't care how much we have. It's freedom from this slavery. It's freedom from this demonic spirit that exists in all of people, that we need stuff rather than the Lord, that we look to stuff first over the Lord. That is straight up evil. And I want it gone. I want it gone from me. And the Lord is a God of abundance. But if he hasn't given us what we want, then he's doing that for a reason. If you're struggling with prosperity right now, if you're struggling with not enough, praise the Lord. He knows what he's doing. I know that's really difficult. We talked about that in that Joseph series a lot too. If God is not giving us something, he knows what he's doing. And who knows why he's doing it? We could talk all day about what God is trying to bring about in your life by denying you something good. Provision is good. Health is good. All these things are good. However, God is even better and he knows what he's doing. And you look at the things in your life that if God gave you those, you'd turn from him. I don't know exactly all the specifics, but I do know that everything God does, he does to bring you into a deeper relationship with him and greater love for him. And to do that, he's got to challenge your idols. If he's not doing verbally through me right now, if he's taking things away from you, it's still because he's got your good in mind. Here's a guy that if God gives him things, he's going to turn from him immediately because he doesn't love him. He loves his stuff. What a curse this man has gotten. What a curse of stuff that this guy has gotten that's taken him from the Lord and he dies and goes to hell. How many parents think, oh, I just want something to fall back on and I want to give something to my kids. Oh, that's exactly what I'm doing right now. I want to give something to my kids. How many rich people give something to their kids and it's the absolute worst curse you could have placed on them? The kids don't have to work. The kids don't have to learn to trust in the Lord. The kids become selfish, awful, horrible people who squander their wealth and waste their lives. Do you want to curse your children with that? Maybe you should give them the Lord. Maybe I should spend a little less time trying to save up something to give to my children and instead spend some time teaching them the word of the Lord. Here's a guy who loves stuff. I'm sure he worries more than anybody. Oh, I finally got it. Now I've got it. Now I can relax. He's probably been worried the whole time. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. 
The fool hoards. He's a servant of his wealth rather than a servant of God. If I got a picture of, this is what reminds me of my grandparents' home. I love my grandparents, and I don't mean to speak negatively of them. My grandparents went through the depression. Talk about an anxiety-producing situation. They have stories about how they didn't have food. They had a hot dog that they cut up and share between the eight of them for dinner. Talk about an anxiety-producing situation. If you're anxious, it doesn't necessarily, if you worry, it doesn't necessarily mean there's something deficient in you in comparison to the person sitting next to you. Life is hard. Circumstances is hard. But worry is always a deficiency of faith in the Lord. You may be going through something very difficult, but if you're worrying about it, I'm not here to judge you. I might be more worried than you are. But you still have a deficiency in faith in the Lord. If you live like this, you've got a massive deficiency in faith in the Lord. This is my... This is actually spacious compared to what my grandparents' house was. You couldn't walk up and down the stairs. They lived in the Depression. They had nothing. They saved everything the rest of their lives. When they died, it took months. It took calling all of the antique collectors in town. It took giant dumpsters like I've never seen. And they threw out tons of stuff that was valuable because they just didn't have time. They called all the antique collectors. What do we do with all the rest of these watches from the 1970s that are still worth $40 a pop, even though they don't work? I don't know. Here, you take them home. Tons of junk. It got to the point where you'd go over to their house to help them, and because all they thought about was their stuff, you'd help them with something, and you'd leave, and they'd say, where is that thing? He took it. And then they'd call you up. Did you take that? And they'd call up the other brothers and sisters. Did you, t- did you know that, that Ricky came over to mow my lawn, and I think he took the thing? He took that thing. I can't find it. I mean, that's, that's mental insanity. And sometimes it's good to talk about the end result of something to remember how evil and wicked it is. See, you might have yours under control. You might look a little bit more like the rest of your neighbors and think, I got a handle on this. Everybody else has got the storage shed in the back too. I'm normal. You've just got it a little under control, but it's still just as evil. And the evil is still nipping at you at your door, knocking at your door, trying to take you down. I don't want to live like this. <laughs> Ask Sarah. <laughs> I've seen it. I fear it. I'm always trying to throw stuff away. <laughs> what I like more is numbers in my bank account because I don't like tripping over garbage. So what I do is I take out my phone and then I see what the number is. We all do it for the same reasons. We want fulfillment and security, and we're looking at getting it somewhere other than the Lord. Where is life found? It's found in knowing Jesus. If you turn to John chapter 17, verse 3, it says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Knowing Jesus is where life is found. And so often we spend so much time, that Jesus does too, it's very interesting. He spends a lot of time talking about the negative. And he does so not to condemn us, not so we feel bad. He does it to free us so we experience the blessings. He, he trashes it. He makes it look foolish and unappealing to try to get us to turn from it. He does it not so we feel condemned, but so we'll start to hate it and start to follow him. 
God does not die on the cross for us so he can spend the rest of his life shaming us for every time we fail. Jesus died on the cross for us to forgive us, and he teaches the way he does so that we'll reject the evil and we'll look to his cross and we'll be set free. God has forgiveness for you. And that's the whole point of Christianity is you're forgiven. If you're a hoarder, repent and look to the Lord and find forgiveness and freedom. And if you have been forgiven, we talked about this in the Jonah series, God didn't forgive us just to give us another chance to take the weight of our salvation on our own shoulders and try to do it ourselves and be perfect again. No, what God has forgiven us for is a chance to be free. And the Lord wants you to experience the blessings of trusting in him rather than your stuff. So the whole point is not to condemn, it's to look at how evil this is and start to hate it and start to love the Lord and start to look for it to him for his fulfillment. John chapter 10, verse 27, 28 says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. If you want security, turns out that's what God gives. And when we know Jesus, then we have security. And if we worry If we're anxious, if we have anxiety, there's a lack of faith in our life to meet the circumstances that we are in. And if we trust in the Lord, then we're going to find the security that we're looking for. And Jesus gives a message to everybody who's anxious. The passage right before, he talks about people who are anxious because of their stuff. But here he just gives a general message to all who are anxious, starting in chapter 12, verse 22. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse. No storehouse. What do they do? How can they live without a shed behind their house with all their stuff that they need so badly in it? And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? You're anxious, you have little faith. That's not bad to say. You can't go forward unless you recognize it. I don't know if you listen to other... We should definitely be listening to other Christian pastors and preachers. In fact, if you're just listening to me, you're missing out. The body of Christ is much larger than me. Go listen to a Stephen Furtick sermon. Listen to Tim Keller. Listen to anybody. Get online. There's podcasts all the time. Listen to somebody. Oh, you have little faith. Here's one of the things that I see, though, that's wrong. We, we, everyone's got doubts. And so what we do is we say, what's going on right now is people are saying doubt is natural. You can be a person of faith and have doubt. Uh, not really. Not really. Doubt is the opposite of faith. And if you're doubting, it's fine. We all have it. But then you erase it by putting your trust in the Lord with faith. 
Constantly, Jesus contrasts doubt with faith. I just heard a message the other day where they said, faith is not that, doubt is not the opposite of faith. And they said something else is, no, 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 no. Doubt is the opposite of faith. It is literally the opposite of faith. Every time where Jesus says, oh, you have little faith, he's contrasted it with doubt. And so we all have doubt and we need to erase it with faith. That's how we grow closer to the Lord. And we want people who doubt to feel comfortable in church. So we say, oh no, that's fine. It's not fine. Just because we all have it doesn't make it fine. No, this is exactly what we're trying to destroy and eradicate today. And we're going to get to in a minute. Turns out most people really don't want it gone because they love Satan more than the Lord. And so they don't want to give up this thing that's causing doubt in their life. He says, oh, you of little faith, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things and your father knows you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. That is the antidote for this situation. That's the specific application. How many of us are going to go do that? Probably not many. And next time you struggle with anxiety, worry, and fear, don't blame anybody but your unwillingness to be obedient to the Lord. If you're not going to do what he says, you will not receive his blessings in life. It is better to give than to receive. And if we're not going to give, then we're not going to experience the blessings that come with it. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. You couldn't have a more clear application to this sermon than that. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you are anxious, it's functional atheism. And people with anxiety, I've preached this a few times, people with anxiety, you're going to feel terrible right now. I want you to know that I get you. If you've ever had anxiety, it's terrible. Who wants to live like that? No one. That's why God gives us his word so that we don't have to. It's not easy if you have anxiety. This isn't just something simple. I've had people with anxiety come up to me afterwards and say, you don't know what it's like. Yes, I do. I actually know exactly what it's like. I know exactly what it's like to have anxiety. I know what it's like to read the word and try to put my faith and trust in the Lord harder so that it goes away and did not have that work, at least immediately. I have had anxiety that's terrible. It runs in my family. I remember as a kid seeing my, sorry, mom, but seeing my mom in the kitchen paralyzed with anxiety, chewing on her hair. I will sit down and read my kids a book and have such anxiety that I, I'm gone. I don't know if you've ever read a children's book before, especially for the 10th time. 
It doesn't keep your attention. And I read the page, and I'm not thinking about what I'm reading because I can read and think about something else at the same time, and pretty soon I'm not reading anymore, and I'm just thinking about this thing, and the kids look up. Papa, keep reading. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, We took our kids swimming once, and I was holding one of my little kids, my little girl, in the water like this, and Sarah's like, here, do this, and I'm thinking about something else, and okay, I'm I'm holding her so she can kind of learn how to swim or whatever, and she's got a little floaties on, and pretty soon Sarah's like, Jeremy, Jeremy, I look down, I'm holding her underwater, I know what it's like to have anxiety, I also know what it's like to be free from anxiety, I don't have that poison in my mind anymore, praise the Lord. People with anxiety come up and they say, you don't know what's... I I know. I know what it's like. Well, I've tried and it doesn't work. I know. Keep trying. That's what it means to put your faith and trust in the Lord. I've had people... And I don't understand all the situation. I had a woman come up to me and she said, I feel horrible about your sermon. I, I was pregnant. My hormones changed. I had crippling anxiety every day. Think of how many people are in this crowd. If you have a problem with anxiety, Satan is going to want you to single yourself out and say, this passage does not apply to me. I can keep my anxiety because it's more biological than not. All anxiety is biological. Everything's biological. We're biological people. If it's happening to you, it's in your genes. It's in the chemicals in your brain. And yet it's also spiritual. I don't know how it all works. You'll have to ask the Lord. I don't have all the answers, but he does. And here's the guy who has all the answers, and he told you this. Think of how many people in the crowd had all sorts of different types of anxiety. They wouldn't, I have people come up and say, you know what, I, I, when the Lord says anxiety here, I think what he really means is just worry. And I have a condition. We all have a condition. Trust in the Lord. What does that look like? I think about all the people who've come to the Lord and have, have a reason to single themselves out of the Lord's, out of the word of the Lord. He says, don't be anxious. He says, well, he's not talking to me because I've got a really bad situation. He's not talking to me because what I had is it was more nutritional than whatever. He's not talking to me. And I, I, it's, if you have a problem, you're going to want to single yourself out and say the word of the Lord does not apply to you so Satan can still rule in that area of your life because there's a demon that's going on in your life that you need deliverance from and you can't do it yourself. I've tried. You sit there and you try and you work harder to trust in the Lord and it doesn't work. What you've got to do is you've got to just continue on and pray for deliverance that God would move. He's stronger than you are. I can't make the demons move. I can't do anything. I've got to trust in the Lord and wait on him until he provides me with freedom in that area of my life. And it's only the Lord can do it. And while he doesn't do it immediately, I have no idea. But I do know that what he's doing is he's using it to draw me closer to him. Look at how much closer I came to him because I did not quit Look how closer I came to him because Satan brought crippling anxiety into my life. And that's what God wants for you. Not only did I come out and I think clearly, I think clearly, and it's an incredible blessing. Thank you, Jesus. But not only did I come out and think clearly, but I'm much stronger in my faith. 
What you need to do is you need to pray to be free from Satan, that God would free you from that, that he would bless you with the ability to put your faith and trust in him. Everybody makes a choice. I've had people come and say, but my loved one, they have anxiety and they hear this message and they just feel that they're a bad Christian and they feel that they're, and they've got excuses for as long as you will listen to them. I have, I, I said, well, does your loved one, I've seen them at church before. Are they, you know, they're able to come to church? Yes. And I said, well, praise the Lord. I've got relatives who aren't even able to anymore because you make a choice every single day. And if you choose, I've never met anyone who puts their faith and trust in the Lord and actually does what he says that is struggling from these things. Now, if you are, then let me know and we'll pray for you because we want to support you in every, day, every way that we can. But I've never met anybody who spends regular time in the word of God, spends regular time in prayer and worship, comes to church, serves at the church, joins a small group, gives of their wealth to other people. I've never met anybody who's doing these things and is struggling with these awful, evil things in their life. And I said, is he able to come? I've seen him, he's able. Praise God, I've got people who aren't even able to anymore in my family. It controls them so much, there's no chance they're getting out of the house. They've spent their entire life choosing anxiety over the Lord every time. And now they are completely shut in. Let's pray for your loved one and let's get them to church while it's still easy to do so. It's a choice every day. If you don't want to have these things, what you do is you wake up every day and you make the choice to follow the Lord. I know what it's like to wake up and not want to live. And I know what it's like to make the choice to follow the Lord day after day after day for years. God is a God of miracles, but that's not been my experience and praise the Lord if he works a miracle in your life. I wish he would have been mine, but he still delivered me. But I had to fight every day and make the right decision. I've had to fight every day for years. And it's definitely worth it. And the Lord didn't give me a miracle because he knows what he's doing. How weak we would be if he just gave us all these miracles. How weak our kids will be if we just dump a bunch of money on them and say, here, run with it. God wants us to overcome evil in our lives. Verse 30, your father knows what you need, and yet he's got a good reason why you're here. You need, you need to make a choice to follow the Lord. Verse 33, the most direct application, sell something and give it to the needy. Where do you turn for security and fulfillment? Survey of Affluence and Wealth in America says, I've never filled one of these out, which is interesting. I guess uh, I haven't made it there yet. But the Survey of Affluence and Wealth in America says that 53% of those people think that they could run out of money and they're worried about it. One in four millionaires feel very secure for the long term. If one in four millionaires only feel secure... What chance do you have if you're looking to your wealth? And it's easy to pick on those people, but the people that Jesus is talking to right here, they had nothing. And Jesus is telling them not to be anxious and not to worry. Every one of those people that Jesus is talking to in this crowd would come up to you and say, you're the richest person I know. And yet, we want more, and we look to our stuff to fulfill us. 
It's not going to work. And the Lord is a God of provision. The Lord is a God of provision. And we need to learn to trust him with everything. It's not just our wealth, but our lives. I want to be obedient in every single way that I can. I want to be obedient with every single thought that I have. Because it's only good for me if I do. And if you have anxiety, we're going to give you an opportunity to come up front and pray about that. Whether it's big anxiety or little anxiety. Anxiety is functional atheism. It only makes sense. If God exists, it only makes sense to have peace all the time. If God exists, it only makes sense to have peace all the time. And if God doesn't exist, it only makes sense to panic every single second. There really isn't any in between. And if we believe in the Lord, and we're living with anxiety, there's some area of our life that we need freedom in. Because if we have faith in the Lord, we will have peace. I've had all these people come up to me, and I I get it. I've had anxiety, and I struggle. Satan wants to turn you against what I'm saying right now, but these aren't my words. They're Jesus' words. I've had people come up and say all sorts of things about how it's right for them to be having this anxiety and how it's just not so easy as reading the Bible and praying. It's not so easy. But I've never met anyone who has persisted in that, who has not become freed from their anxiety. 